I have a quote as well from, from George Orwell, who wrote 1984, and he says this. The purpose of Newspeak is was not... With, blah, 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 blah. Let me start that again. I have a quote as well from George Orwell from... Let's try that again. Jesus Christ. Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 51. We're back in the studio, not live on this one and sort of slithering, slithering, I don't know, skidding. That's what you do in autumn, really. You're sliding. That's the word I was looking for. God, on the so, fallen leaves. so bad already. I'm going to just, yeah, you slide on leaves, right? I'm just going to try this again because that was so <laughs> okay. insane. Um, that you might... <laughs> okay, three, two, five, eight. Hello and welcome to episode 51, back in the studio and sliding on the leaves back into autumn or fall if you are in the USA or what do they say in Canada? They say autumn in Canada, don't they, Lindsay? I hope so. You hope so? Do you not like fall when people say fall? No, I was just, I'm only joking. Of course, I'm oh, going right. to have a preference for the British words, right? <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we hope you guys are doing well and we're, we've got a, a massive episode, lots and lots of research today. And I think, I feel in, in today's episode, like our research barely even touched the surface. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Uh, it's it's just an incredible topic. So you you really have something inspiring and fun to to be looking forward to. You know, if you ever wanted to go down internet rabbit hole, we have found the rabbit hole for you. Uh, I I only say I only say one word, honestly. Klingon. Oh, crazy. Okay, but before <laughs> we jump into Klingon and why on earth we would be talking about that, <laughs> it, it, it's time for this episode's good bad and struggling and Lindsay Dow why don't you take us away and tell me a little bit about what's good in your language learning right now okay good is Indonesian gotta love the Indonesian I I am really really enjoying this language so far and about where are we now about sort of six weeks or so in so sticking to routines well and stuff um, but I guess that links to um, the bad which would be probably Russian maybe I feel like in September perhaps I over egged how how much Duolingo you can do in a day and still kind of keep sane at a sustainable rate and because I set myself that in September I would do a whole little kind of unit on Duolingo each day and sometimes that's fine but sometimes you have more lessons than others and then it's a bit like whoa this is intense um so I guess that's the bad but I'm I'm okay with that because it's not my priority right now. It's just something I want to kind of get on the side. So it doesn't matter if I don't do that now. You know, I've come out of that first month. I'm I'm okay with uh, kind of lowering that slightly. And I guess the struggling is probably not. It's not finding the time. It's not getting distracted right now because there's about two weeks left until I graduate and then get married the very next day and that's kind of exciting and also kind of distracting it's very easy to instead of learn languages in the morning sit and look up 
um, a brand new, I don't know, like decoration that you don't even need. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I guess I'm struggling right now, not with not finding time, but with not getting distracted. And it's it's different. It's not procrastination. It's just not getting distracted by something that Mm -hmm. is a worthy distraction. But yeah. I think I think you you already um I mean you very you you rarely bring a struggling where you're really asking me for a big tip so I'm I'm just sort of sort of impart the wisdom of I got married last year and I spent ages what might be considered distracting but I really enjoyed it you're only going to get married once um according to common societal societal you know folklore or whatever but you know we're intending to only get married once uh you're probably only going to graduate from your open university modern languages degree once. Um, and my my feeling on that one is really that, that it's okay to be a little bit distracted. It's okay to kind of look back and go, oh, at the time I was looking forward because something like, something like a, a wedding and a marriage is something to be cherished for ages. Um, well, a language is really with you for life, you know, so it is less... I but feel a marriage like... is not. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> I'm not talking about the marriage. I'm talking about the ceremonial event of the wedding, which is the day. Quite, okay, the, the wedding day is, really day is ephemeral. A day. Yes. Mm-hmm. The day is really ephemeral. Okay. It sort of blows away. So I, I don't know. That's that's sort of a a perspective, I guess, on 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 that whole thing. Um, I'm feeling you on the on the long Duolingo lessons. I just did one, mm. um, like over the last two or three days. I did I did one in Welsh, and it was six different bits. Yeah, and you kind of feel like if you set yourself the goal of like doing one a day, it's fine until you get a day where I think sometimes with like Esperanto even, there were like close to eight maybe. And you think, oh my, you know, you kind of get it into a routine, but then one day that is like too much to then put in. You're like, oh, you know, the same thing happens though with other resources. You know, sometimes if you're on Memrise and you have one um, unit with like 10 words and you think, okay, I'll do a unit a day. And then you get to like level 20 and then they're like, okay, now we're going to give you 50 words. You're like, whoa, but my pattern is ruined. And that can be quite annoying. You just want things to to fit in when you've made time for them to fit in. But yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about it. So I'm okay. How about you? And also I I would say it's it's worth i mean i don't i don't really set myself daily targets as such because mm-hmm. i'm just uh, i'm just no good at routines i however i when i'm setting when i'm setting routines uh, I, I do it with fitness and things like that and you know like when you're working out you're meant to take rest days and when you are yes when you are dieting, I suppose, you're often people talk about this. I mean, I don't like the expression cheat day, but talk about a cheat day. And I think with learning, especially, and taking on a new Duolingo, whatever these are called, one of those bubbles, a new Duolingo bubble, mm. every single day, that's a lot of new stuff in. So I'd almost say, how do you feel about putting a consolidation day in there? What do you mean? You know, oh, like a data? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, without a new thing, um, but yeah. you just, you know, I mean, you I just guess, let everything I guess settle. It, it fits if I do that for the weekend because the weekend my routine is different anyway, so it's always a bit of a kind of like, oh, got to fit that in at this different time each weekend day, you know. So maybe yeah, weekends just be kind of consolidating what I've done in the week. Good idea. How about you? Where are you at? 
I'm in a I'm in a really really cool place. I think with Welsh, I'm in a still in a really good place. I'm feeling like you know things are going forward. There's a lot of interesting work to be done with say something in Welsh and uh, like we talked about last time, I sort of started breezing a bit through bit more through my BBC course. Um, I like doing things in a lot of depth, so it felt at first kind of all wrong to be to be breezing through it, but it does feel nice to be kind of going you know get having that that sense of forward motion um just really enjoying it just keeping with it i um i know that i especially after having been in wales and having had all this sort of basic conversation levels around me i'm missing the chance to converse in welsh but i also know where i can where i can get back to that so i'm gonna probably book in with my tutor so I can have a session with her and just just chat really even though I'm not chatting much um, and I want to give a shout out to Rian who gave me uh, who sent me an email and she lives in my town saw my YouTube video about learning Welsh and went hey I'm learning Welsh too and I, I live in Lancaster um, that was that was really cool so I might actually have a, a Welsh nice. learning buddy in my town yeah that's it sounded really cool um, the bad Okay, here is here is a not not really the bad. The bad is that I'm kind of aware of um it's not really a bad. It's a, it's a bad and a struggling together is that I've sort of started feeling attracted to my first ever like you know when you're feeling attracted to a language and you go, "Oh, you know, I want really I'm really curious yes, about I this." Yes, I do. One. Yeah. yeah. And I um obviously after after we both I think were inspired and really loved the Indonesian class that we that we took in Berlin and you're now full mm. on with Indonesian. I I sort of was like, yeah, Indonesian it's really cool. Um I'm going to try it out on different people and the the people who run the Asian shop in my town are not Indonesian but they're Malaysian and they kept telling me how Malaysian is basically very close to Indonesian and I thought, oh, that sounds so interesting and you know, it's it's one that I can probably handle and I'm curious and I really want to learn a little bit of Malaysian. However, I haven't started yet because A, I can't find kind of from zero materials that I can sort of just play with. I don't know if there's a Duolingo in, in Malaysian, but I'm doing Duolingo in no, Welsh. No, there's and, not and, right now. You know, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff where, same as with Welsh, there's not that much material for it. Um, but that's not really the main problem. I think my main problem is that I end up just doing Welsh in the time that I in the time that I have. Like I haven't actually managed to stray yet because I am such a committer that I feel mm. like I want to fully commit to this or not want to. I just I'm drawn to fully committing to this language. And from you as sort of the master dabbler, um, I wonder if you had some some wise words to help me dabble. Yes. So you have to kind of accept from from now, essentially, from the start, that Welsh is your main thing right now, right? My main squeeze. And so, yeah. And so you have to accept that with Malay, you're A, not going to make as much progress as quickly as you are with Welsh because you're not going to be devoting as much time to it. And B, you have to just kind of tell yourself and figure out for you because this is a very personal thing right you know I can't tell you learn this much Malay and learn this much Welsh 
But you have to figure out how much you feel comfortable with learning and at what pace and at what level you want to go to, you know, not necessarily, oh, I want to reach A1 by the end of the year, nothing kind of that formal. Um, Just, you know, know yourself and, and tell yourself that it's okay to kind of play with the language and to not learn it to absolute fluency. That's completely okay. And once you accept that, it becomes a lot easier. You know, maybe maybe what you could do, I mean, this is what I'm doing right now um, with Korean, because as soon as I stopped learning Korean, I found lots of really interesting resources. And I was like, oh, okay, right, ah. And so, <laughs> so um, and I kind of felt this buzz kind of reignite for the language. So what I've done is I'm doing Indonesian Monday to Thursday, and then Friday, I give myself some time just to play with Korean. So I do say, you know, I want to I want to use this as my base resource and, you know, but it's not as um, kind of strictly formal or planned or, or kind of goal-orientated as Indonesian is. So maybe if you give yourself one day a week where you can just kind of go, ah, oh, let's explore Malay today. How does that sound? Mm, I think I think that could work. So it's it. I like the idea of thinking of it more as exploring. Because if I start setting yeah. goals, then I very quickly then get to a point not... where I start thinking, what's the point, right? What's the point of setting myself yeah. a goal of being sort of half bad at this? I don't. <laughs> yeah. Even though and, we, I know we advocate other thing... this, but I just don't get it. Yeah. The other thing is like you know once you've got all of that time dedicated, like let's say four days a week to Welsh, right? Then you know, number one, you're going to think, oh, I've only got four days to do Welsh, not five or however you structure it, right? I don't really do much on the weekends. So you're like, oh, I've only got four days, not five. So I need to make this time count. So it will help with your Welsh in, in theory, in that sense. And also it will make the Malay more exciting and less of a kind of, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because I should be doing Welsh right now. You know, if you allow yourself that time to do it, then that helps, in my experience. Mm. It's, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I don't do four days a week of Welsh, Jesus. Um, no, but you, yeah, I do like you know what I mean. two or three, but, you know, I'm much more ad hoc with, with what I'm doing. I'm basically, you know, like, uh, I might listen to the radio in Welsh, or I might... You know, like watch something when when Christian's not there and I'm watching TV on my own. I might, I'll often look and see, oh, what's on what's on iPlayer on the Welsh channel that I can that I can watch just to get a bit of that. Um, so mm. it's it's less of a kind of dedicated time. It's sort of more like, oh, it happens to just kind of pop in. But I like the idea of having a having a day where, you know, I don't even need to think of it as just this is my Malay day, but just my this is my whatever language day where I can just kind or, of actually mess around because I do want to. If- you know, I can if, re- if, revisit if, Russian or I can play with French yeah. or whatever I want to do, really. Or even if you have like a certain time of day, like for me, for example, when I wash up, I generally I'm watching YouTube videos and I leave that quite open. So it could be that if I'm feeling really kind of pumped and inspired, I'll be like, yeah, let's watch Easy Indonesian. Or if I'm just feeling like I just want some trash in my brain right now, then I'll be like, OK, hey, watch Mojo. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so... It kind of, if you have something like that, like a kind of daily, you know, task that has to happen where you've got some time to, uh, to, to you, you could use for language, then you could have one task a day or per week or whatever that is open for you. That's not set as I'm going to do Welsh in that time. 
you know, if the idea of a day doesn't mm-hmm. work for you, then you could have like a task that you do regularly that is open. Yeah, I think that's the classic appeal of, of Duolingo there. And, that, you know, because Duolingo is yeah, that thing course. that's, it, it kind of contracts and expands to fit in where, whatever minute you, you can give it, which yeah. is, is quite good about it. Well, that's Malay then, isn't it? Okay, so that was our good, bad and struggling. And as always, if you're listening and you want to tell us about your own goods, bads, strugglings, you know, tell us a little bit about what's working, what's not working um, and what questions you want answered in your language learning. You know, just like Lindsay and me, no one's no one's perfect. And we'd love to hear a little bit more from you. You can email me, kirsten at fluentlanguage.co.uk. You can find the Creative Language Learning Podcast on Skype and leave us a message. You know, no one's going to answer your call, but you can leave a voicemail. Um, that is Fluent Language on Skype. Or you can just leave us a comment on this blog article. Let's move on to the topic of today's podcast. It's going to be such an interesting one. And we are talking about fictional languages. Fictional, right? So that means languages which have been created specifically for fictional worlds or fictional stories for books, for video games, for films, for media as opposed to languages that have been artificially created, but for use in the real world. So we're not talking about Esperanto, but we're going to talk about fictional languages. So if you're into sci-fi and fantasy, you know you've got a lot to look forward to. Lindsay, why don't you take it away and tell me a bit about fictional languages? So, yeah, we've we've got a few um, picked out to discuss. Some it, the, the really interesting thing, as you said at the beginning, Kirsten, this is such a rabbit hole. Some are so detailed and grammatically correct and structured that it's just incredible. Others are, well, quite the opposite. As <laughs> So I'm really, I'm not sure. Where would you like to start? I think, give us an idea of the, the topic in general. So what, why... What what is the point of a fictional language, and what did you sort of what are your impressions about these? Did did anything stand out to you? So there are a few things. The three that I researched were all well. Two of them were kind of similar. One was very different. So in terms of the purpose, I guess it varies. Um, I'm trying not to say the names of mine just yet that I've researched, but one of them is actual kind of gibberish essentially and is there purely for comic effect but is really interesting if you know some languages so that's there just just for comedy just to make it amusing and I think there's something very very interesting about films when a character either a doesn't speak or b speaks something that you as the audience don't understand and I don't just mean you're watching a foreign film without subtitles you know I mean that actually intentionally a character is speaking something you won't understand there's something very endearing about that like I'm thinking for example of Mr Bean doesn't need to speak everything is said without words right and so something sometimes when you invent a fictional language it's sort of for that purpose to just you know if if they spoke real words that you understood then it wouldn't be as funny. It wouldn't be as entertaining. And then other times, so the two others that I kind of did a little bit of digging about were very interesting because they, one of them is um, kind of a slang more so. And one of them is 
a way of, um, oh, again, I'm going to give all these away, a way of limiting thought. So one of them is, is a speech that is taken by the people and one is a speech that is given to the people essentially and they're told this is what you speak now. So there are a lot of different reasons why you would do that and they all have different effects. And personally, I find it really quite fascinating because I also, as well as languages, when I was at school, I studied drama. And so I love stuff that you can really go into and overanalyze and do all of that. And so when it's language as well, I'm just like, ah, yeah. It's It's been almost impossible in the research to even touch on the amount of languages that there really are. Um, that have been created for fictional universes in the world. So today, Lindsay and I are going to present sort of a few that really stood out to us, or the ones that you you just you can't not talk about these. And we're going to try and put together our top five list, so top five fictional languages coming up. Uh, I think generally it's accepted that fictional languages are created to add depth to a fictional universe. But I can't tell you, I was overwhelmed when I started looking at what might be the most famous of all the fictional language world, perhaps, which is Middle Earth, and the work by J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien invented not just one language. And as I was looking through the article on Wikipedia, I tried to count them and couldn't even really work out what to count. Because, okay, Lindsay, get this. Okay. He created uh, whole language roots and family trees and a language evolution, right? So there isn't, wow. there isn't the one Elvish invented by Tolkien. Wait, when you say language evolution, when you say language evolution, do you mean like we would say old English, I middle do. English? I do. And then like modern English. You mean like old Elvish? Yes, elf? I oh, know. Wow. It's, isn't it nuts? It's, that's, there's, there's a proto-Elvish, basically. Um, that he started off so there's like there's like Jeez. various different versions of elvish and it sort of said so you know you know you used to have these languages so there's the two famous elvish languages there are two because because reasons um there are two or three really main ones which are called cinderin common common elderin and quenya or kenya i don't know how exactly to say it um and these three you know when you when you sort of look in the article it says oh this came from proto enderin or proto kenyanese languages so they all come from this family but there are different variations and it really reflects how um tolkien didn't just make this up for you know for a movie like we will see with some other languages later this was his big world and this was his passion He was actually a linguist um, and spent over 60 years working on the various different languages that he created, including the Elvish languages. Apparently, Tolkien loved Welsh and incorporated a lot of the Welsh sort of sound creations into Sindarin as well. So overall... Okay, Kirsten, you have to learn, <laughs> to learn Sindarin. I, I quite like the idea of being an elf. I always thought they were sort of the beautiful ones. I think I'd get over <laughs> the pointy ears. Um, that would be absolutely fine. I was going to say, are they the point? I'm not very familiar with Lord of the Rings. Are they the pointy ears ones? Okay, I got it right. <laughs> here's, here's a good summary. So um, I'm 
this is uh, me quoting directly from, from Wiki, which is really interesting. So it says, while the Elvish languages remained at the center of Tolkien's attention, the requirements of the narratives associated with Middle-earth also necessitated the development, at least superficially, of the languages of other races, especially of dwarves and men, but also the black speech designed by Sauron, the main antagonist in The Lord of the Rings. The, la the latter language was designed to be ostensible antithesis, of an ideal of artistic language pursued by the development of Kenya, the black speech representing dystopian parody of an international auxiliary language, just as Sauron's rule over the orcs is a dystopian parody of a totalitarian state. So Sauron, the, the big Whoa. baddie, basically the bad... Um, yeah. What is it? He's, he's, the, the, he's not the black wizard, is he? He's a, isn't he the white? Sauron the white? I am the wrong I don't person know. to ask this If you are a Middle-earth nerd, please write <laughs> in and tell us. Okay, so Sauron basically rules over the orcs and he's the baddie. And the language he uses is a parody of something like Esperanto, which is all about, you know, people coming together. So this is about control, suppression and division. How nuts is that? And And black speech sounds... Does that, does that mean, does that mean only he speaks No, the or... Or... He developed like only it, but I think the they orcs all speak it. Okay, speak right. it all the orcs. as well. But I, that was my absolute favourite. Okay. So he created about five different wow, Manish languages that the men speak. Then Khustul, which is the language of the dwarves. Um, and, and like I said, the, the black speech. Tolkien also, it, you know, not to end at this because, you know, he's a busy man. Because <laughs> that is not enough. Tolkien Come also on, created Tolkien. nine scripts. On. Wow. Yeah. And the actual, the ring verse, you know, one ring to bind them, one ring to rule them all. I know that bit, that, yeah. That is in black speech. So right now, I think we are going to be taking our first audio sample and I'll play you a little bit of black speech so you can hear what it sounds like. And it is absolutely just, apparently it hurts the elves Ooh. when they hear it because it casts a shadow. And it he he i think he has he has done a great he's done a, such a fantastic job with the soundscape of this language because it does sound oppressive scary and obviously i think this is ian mckellen reading it so it's also you know performed in an appropriate way <laughs> Ashburz durba kuburzu meishi, dagburzishi matabolshu tarulu. So, how did that sound to you? Oh, okay. This is going to sound really strange, but allow me to explain. When I listen to Quentin Tarantino speak in an interview or something, he kind of makes my heart pound because he makes me feel really nervous, right? And I felt the same way listening to that, like that kind of like, Whoa. I know what you mean. Do you know? You do? Good. It is oppressive. It does cast a shadow, doesn't it? it I mean, yeah. it's a fascinating. So that is the black speech. Don't listen to too much of it because I think bad things will probably happen to you. And compare that to the, the lightness and the sort of, um, you know, I've, I, found, I found a recording of Tolkien himself 
reading a poem in Elvish. So have a little listen to that and just compare it to the lightness um, of, of what Elvish sounds like in comparison. Ai lauri elantar lassisurine, ignar un ottinar de ramar alron, ignar velinti ulmar vanier miorum margelis simiru voriva, andun ne pella vardo telma nulluini yasem tintelari eleni, o mario aritari lirine. Okay, that's much nicer. I know, that's so weird, and I think that really goes. it you know it it really goes to show i think the word the work that tolkien did um in in language creation it's it's in no way inferior or not really very different and maybe even more intricate than the creation of something like esperanto or tokipo definitely tokipona and it because he really i think as you read about this you you almost forget that these languages are fictional that's that's how I felt. Yeah, I can I can get behind you on that definitely. Yeah, that I feel very calm now after listening to the out. I feel like it's it's like an antidote to the black speech. <laughs> yeah, the the black speech fascinated me, um, and then obviously moving on from that, perhaps while we're on the speeches or the the languages of, you know, sort of maybe a race that embraces the dark as well as the light. Um, I would like to talk to you about Klingon. What I do know you know about the Klingons? Klingons? I met uh, Kelvin in Berlin at the Polyglot Gathering and he taught me in Klingon, let me see if I can remember, Nachnuk, I think that's it, something like that. Does that oh, nuk sound nuk. remotely? Nuknich! Ah, yes. Nuk and nuk. it doesn't mean Hello. Because you don't say hello in Klingon. It means, what do you want? But probably less aggressive. Yeah, that, that's, what I've, that's what I know. That is exactly true. Remarkable. I mean, I, I really enjoyed kind of learning, learning that as well. Um, and this, okay, so Klingon, not like Tolkien. I think Tolkien had, t Tolkien created another world. He almost created another planet with Middle Earth. Whereas Mark Ockrand, and you can you can hear him talk on, on YouTube about how he created Klingon, he was a linguist who got contacted by the Star Trek people and he created Klingon specifically for Star Trek. So I guess he didn't have the Star Trek world in his heart. Um, and actually in very old Star Trek movies, the actors who are Klingon are speaking English to each other. But then after a while they said, well, rather than heavily accented English, we want to add exactly that we, are, we want to add more depth and he developed Klingon so he started with this in 1983 it's quite old then. this this has to be every linguist's dream job right like wet dream <laughs> I think so wow yeah he started okay, to be there. contacted and say hey make up a language um, and one thing I really liked was that Klingon the first bits of Klingon dialogue had to they were they were dubbed over a scene that was already filmed where the actors were speaking English, so the lip movements had to match those of English, basically. Wow. Mm, entirely different requirements. Uh, the first. So did they... Okay, hang on. So did they invent Klingon after some Star Trek already existed? Yes. Is that what you're saying? And so then did, they, did Mark, the... I've forgotten his surname. Did he have to then use those old 
episode as a basis of, well, they're saying this now, so the mouth has to be moving like this. So I'm going to pick this word. Did he have to do that? No, that no, like that was that was only every for the first nightmare. movie. And then they didn't okay. they didn't go back to, you know, older episodes. They just oh, left okay. it as English. Right. But then when they made Star Trek 3, um, they decided to actually film the dialogue, you know, to bring Mark Ockrent back, to have him create more Klingon and to actually film more of the dialogue. So what he was saying is when I was making this, um, really, at first in Klingon, if a word wasn't in the script for this film, it didn't really exist. Um, and then over time, Klingon just has this incredible fandom. It's got, you know, just like Star Trek, it's got a massive fan base. Um, and there is now the Klingon Language Institute at KLI.org, and they provide meetups, a certification program, a language Wait, corpus. Wait, what? In Kling- a certificate? Yeah, you can take exams in, in Klingon. Wow. And get this, I love this. This is me quoting straight from um, Wiki because I couldn't stop laughing. The Klingon Christmas Carol play is the first production that is primarily in Klingon. Only the narrator speaks English. The opera Ooh. is entirely in Klingon. Mm. <laughs> so people have written uh, plays in Klingon now. Um, and there's, so, so Klingon is, is a language that I really, you know, as opposed to the Tolkien languages, I would say they lived within him you know and they 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 you know they weren't brought to life by the universe um as much uh, they they sort of almost feel like the universe came out of they're just part they were just there i don't know um because they're different races whereas these klingon on vulcan mark okran actually created two because he also created vulcan the language of spock's race in star trek um they they were made much more for the movies, so they're much more of the the archetype, mm. or not archetype, but the sort of a much more common model of how a fictional language is made. And did you know that Klingon was actually subject of a copyright case this year between makers of a fan movie and Paramount Pictures? And Paramount yes. wanted to copyright Klingon and say, uh, "Nah, you can't, you know, you can't make a film." Yes, where they that speak Klingon. That poses a lot of questions, doesn't it? Because I don't know. I don't know the details of their legal contracts, but how can you own a language? It seems so. I don't know. That, that, I think, that was I really think, the question, then, isn't is, it? Is the case over? What's what was the final verdict? I believe that the final verdict was: this is a living language. A living language cannot be owned. Um, but yeah, the real question is really: is it is it a fictional construct, and is it fixed and limited to? I guess. The, the film dialogue, which would made maybe give him a case, or is it a living language? And I think Klingon in particular, when you look into the community that exists around it, absolutely is a living language. You can't, you cannot copyright something people actually speak, even if all they do is say, Nuknech kapla. Yeah, absolutely. And as the, the, the moment that something leaves the screen, so to speak, and then it's going to be evolving, it's going to be living. And, you know, if you create something like a language for something like Star Trek with a massive fan base, people are going to want to learn that language and kind of take it and make plays and operas out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you definitely can't copyright that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think I think probably we as language lovers are sort of on the on the clear side of this. But it's I I really love that 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 demonstrated as well how. Even though a language might have been created by a fictional universe, which somebody got paid for by Paramount Pictures and all that, 
Um, it's still... You can't own it. I think the ultimate, the, the, the copyright case must be about are they allowed to make a fan movie but not are they allowed to speak Klingon in this fan movie because Klingon mm. is is owned by us as all now as, as all languages are sort of owned by humans. Even alien languages. <laughs> okay. So I have... Oh, let's... Well, first of all, let's have a little listen to... The, I found the, the Klingon anthem that you can listen to. And I, I think it sounds... I'm, I've got a soft spot for Klingon, honestly. It's, it's quite funny. Um, and they're, they're singing this in Star Trek. So have a little listen to the Klingon anthem. Koi keles puk lod, koi puk bet yakbo mapo jeshu mi, semak shu me u. Mashu malang, e mak shu chu, ni beyin mak shu of wong ku. But my children's LJP, but Kirsten, this is very interesting because two things. First of all, he definitely says salute, like or salute at the beginning, either mm-hmm. saying hello or salute or health in Spanish. And then it sounds very much like German from there on in. <laughs> Oh my Lots God. of dach, mach, dach. I don't know what to think of this, but this is so <laughs> funny because, oh my God, I, I guess maybe that's why I have a soft spot for, um, okay. Maybe so that's it. Here's what I was going to tell you next. It's German, hey, German. What does that say about German? I, I was going to say, I think I've got a little soft spot for warrior languages because there is one more famous fictional warrior language that we, we cannot possibly get around. And I think, I think you guess what I'm going to say. Um, and that is a language that was actually based in the sounds of Arabic and German. Um, so maybe Arabic and German have got a warrior quality to them. So the language I'm talking about here is Dothraki. In recent years, fictional languages on TV have really had this new champion in, um, in in the Game of Thrones series. And Dothraki is the language of the Dothraki people, who are a warrior horse people race in, you know, in, in the universe of Game of Thrones. Do you watch Game of Thrones? Have you heard this spoken? I do not watch Game of Thrones. I, and I have not ah, okay. heard Dothraki yet, so I'm intrigued to learn a little bit okay. more. Okay. Oh, well, that's, that sort of explains maybe your, your lack of massive all new to me. and passion. That, that I'm sort of like, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's two, there's two major languages in... Um, or major languages. So English is sort of what everybody speaks, and they refer to it as the common tongue in Game of Thrones. But um, they maybe... Educated people or people from specific areas speak High Valyrian, which is a separate language to Dothraki. So they've got nothing to do with each other. Both were created by David Peterson. And what I really liked was I saw there's a a really cool making of um, documentary I'll put in the show notes. So you can watch kind of like a featurette, 10 minutes about the Dothraki language um, and creating Dothraki. And what David Benioff, one of the show creators, says is that they went to the Language Creation Society, that's conlang.org, there's a Language Creation Society, and they then turned them on to this linguist called David Peterson. And like you said before, lingu- uh, Lindsay, ling- ling- Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay, it's, it's <laughs> that like... That should be my new name. 
That should be a new name. Any linguist sort of dream, isn't it? So this guy must have been really excited. And what he says is you have to start with the language and the people. What might, you know, what might their world be like? So in Dothraki, for example, they haven't got a word for throne. And they haven't got a word for ships. They call the they call the salty sea the poisoned water. And they say, you you know, do you really want to go across the, the poisoned water on wooden horses? Because the, what they understand oh. is horses. What they understand is fighting. So that's Dothraki in a way. But they don't understand. Th- they don't have a word for throne. I know nothing about this show. It's called Game of Thrones. It is called. They're not in the game. They're not in the game for the throne. I assume. Well, I think Daenerys Targaryen, who is, I think, probably the most, mm, the 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 most pro profiled kind of the the high most high profile multilingual character. There's also a translator character in this, and you know, there's a few other multilingual, really remarkable multilingual ones. I don't want to sort of put her down to that extent, but there are various scenes where she right. Yeah, he doesn't speak not anything Not the newsreader. He's not a newsreader. That's right. And he might be dead, okay. but he might not be. I can't tell <gasps> you this. Uh, Spoiler alert. No, that season's already done. It's just because you haven't seen it yet. Okay. So, but Daenerys Targaryen, really a remarkable queen. And I've, I've spoken about this before on the podcast in a previous episode, that I love how she conquers really her lover's heart by connecting, she gets married to a Dothraki warlord um, who pretty much uh, very is very brutal to her in the beginning because he, I don't think he sees her really as a person. He just sees her as, oh, woman. Um, and she starts connecting to him as she learns Dothraki, the language of his people. Um, but she also speaks High Valyrian. So there's a later scene where she gains a real advantage. In, in various scenes, really, she gains a real advantage by just not giving away or by, at, at strategic moments, giving away the fact that she absolutely knows. I, I absolutely know what you've just been saying about me. I'm not the stupid woman. I am here and I know the language. Um, the hmm. the main speaker of Dothraki in the first season is a guy called Khal Drogo. And he is portrayed by Jason Momoa, whose audition tape, he's, I think he's New Zealand, he's Kiwi, his audition t- tape features him performing the haka. And I think wow. that really connects, right? The haka being a Ma- Maori war dance. And he obviously plays a warrior, but the the Maori kind of warrior language, I think, really set him up quite nicely for, for speaking Dothraki. So Dothraki, I think, is a is a fantastic language to really be mentioned but high valyrian the other big language of game of thrones not far behind so there's another two there out of the two languages and i've got a little bit of a dothraki kind of audio sample for you just give me a second Adorfinan Kal Navesoe She Kalisi. It's kind of like an in between between um black speech and elfish. Like there's that kind of soft element but still some kind of harsh click click sort of sounds. Does it sound as much to you like German to you? Not as much. Not as much as Klingon did. Not as much. <laughs> I don't know 
what that says about German and Klingon. It's just, it's just a very Klingon funny. and German be like BFF. <laughs> yeah, we're like bros. <laughs> so, so those are yeah. I really, I really enjoyed kind of getting into that as well, and I really like that you know what David Peterson says, which is when you're creating a fictional language, you have to start with the people that you're portraying and what their world is like. What will they talk about? What will you know, how do they feel about things? And I think Dothraki really portrays that that very well in the way it's spoken. Nice. And there's a bit of war cries and all that stuff. Okay, one more language that I think you can really touch upon that is there's a really interesting, a really lovely scene um, and you can actually see somebody learning it is Navi. Onto. Onto. The language is a pain, but... You know, I figure it's like field stripping a weapon. Just repetition, repetition. Nari. 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 Only we're stronger. Itiri calls me scowling. It means moron. I'd completely forgotten about that one. Navi is the race of the aliens in the film Avatar. Mm-hmm. Of course. And what I liked about and with, that... There's, there's oh, new films coming out. There's new... Is it like Avatar 2, Avatar 3, Avatar 4, maybe even Avatar 5? So maybe Navi is about to go through a big kind of resurgence in terms of interest and community, perhaps. I don't know. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, but I think there's lots of Avatar films. films. Yeah. Yeah, it might it might actually be more developed. It's it's a full language. It's developed by linguist Paul Frommer for the film. Uh, I really like that because this is a film about sort of really Americans coming in and taking over this other race and kind of saying, oh, they you know they're they're kind of stupid, they're primitive, they're underdeveloped, you know, because they live in a jungle. But their language actually being a full and rich language betrays that. Mm, that's really clever. So, the, so here, one of the reasons for having, for having someone actually come in and create a full language would be to show, look, these people are just as good as you are. Mm, they're a full, they're a fully realized yeah. civilization in that sense, and you can actually go and read the creator's blog. He's still very, very involved in the Navi um, community. So you can learn Navi and the creator still teaches on the language. He helps creating language materials and he's got his own blog as well. So that's what I liked about Navi. It's still got the creator really involved in it. Yeah, that is interesting. What else is actually interesting with these ones from big kind of film and TV um, kind of productions is they're all different linguists that have come in and created. It's not as if, oh, he's your go-to guy. You know, there are actually a few different people that have gone in and done this for big projects. Yes, yeah. That, I mean, this seems to be a job that can be done, which is linguist on call for creation. You know, mm. if you need language creating, I'm here, I'll, I'll make you one. Um, and that does sound rather appealing. So if you're out there, kids, and you want to, you know, you're looking for a new career, how about language creator? Because there's, there's people out there who've got that job. How amazing is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, the next few languages that we're that we're going to into, I think I think we've we've covered all of our heavy weights, haven't we? With uh, I mean, Tolkien, incredible. Never going to even. Uh, I, don't, I think 
that really is a man working on his life's creation. That was yeah. very, very impressive. Um, none of these actually created by any women. Have any of yours been created by women? That sort of surprised me. Um, no. Interestingly enough. Interestingly enough. So tell me a little bit about the languages that you are sort of bringing to us. I've got all the, I've got all the heavy kind of we're in a different world kind of ones. But I know that you've got something that is a little bit more fun. Hopefully. Okay. If we, <laughs> if we're going for fun, then yes. Now I'm not sure what to call this language. Minionese, otherwise known as the banana language, otherwise known as the language that the Minions speak in the film Despicable Me and Despicable Me Too and Minions, if it's even a language. Right, if it's even a language. <laughs> is, it, yes. is it a real language? Can, can you learn Minionese? So it would be a lot of fun to kind of go through a film. I know when I went to see Minions at the cinema, I remember this. I did. I enjoyed it, not necessarily because, oh, that was an amazing film, but just because that was a fascinating film. Oh my goodness. Did you hear them say this word for that? And that's from that language. And I must have been a nightmare to deal with when I came home from that cinema experience. But it's not a fully formed language in the same sense as the ones we've discussed so far. And there is a reason for that. So it's all of all of the minions are voiced by the one of the co-directors and his parents to give you a bit of background his one parent is from France one is from Indonesia and he also spent a lot of time working in London so wow. there's a sort of mixture there to begin with between English French Indonesian kind of you know European and kind of Southeast Asian languages as well and you can hear this as definitely in in some of the things they say so there's a couple of clips to share with you here <laughs> <laughs> you can understand what he's saying, right? If you speak French, <laughs> Spanish, Italian, there's something there that you. <laughs> and the, the 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 amazing thing about about this is, even if you can't understand, you can still enjoy it, and that's one of the main reasons why they didn't develop this into a fully fledged language if you like because they wanted to keep the sort of gibberish elements because it was funny and this is a funny film so it's not a sci-fi it's not a big world that they're inventing and so it's a lot more um it's a lot it's a lot less uh developed than the others so far so another thing that was interesting is it's not just european languages if you go there's another clip from that same trailer so we'll take a quick listen to that now. So this is 243 and he goes, Yakitori! You backstabbing little Yakitori! So he says Yakitori? Yes. Which is a Japanese kind of like a kebab, a Japanese food. So he, but he's not talking about food at all. He's just saying, yay! So they've just picked a fun word from another language that they know, presumably from a Japanese restaurant, and they, oh, I know that word, and they've gone, yakitori, <laughs> which I think is great. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about Minionese that's really interesting to me right now is the Indonesian influence. And uh, there's an example here when the cute tiny one meets the queen. So for you, 
I offer this tiny crown for your teddy bear, Tim. Terima oh, kasih! Terima kasih! Very good, Bob. Terima <laughs> kasih! Yeah! <laughs> Which is interesting as well because normally if you type in learn Minian language or something like that, you'll get a list of words and it will say thank you is thank you. So, but here he says, which I think is just, oh, it's, I, think, I love it. I love the whole mixture that there is. And I really want to dissect it, but I know there's just no logic. This is the biggest rabbit yeah, hole. So because there's, there's, there's no, there's no internal sort of, do you think he would use the same uh, word to express the same thing? So you can actually have an internal structure or an internal logic to it? Or do you think it's mostly like, gibberish and we're throwing in random words so is, is there a systematic yes. is there a system underneath that would that would imply i think that would would, would be what makes it a full-on language i suppose yeah see i think yeah it's fair to say that there's no system uh, um you know i think shame. It, i don't even i don't even know if there would they would have a script for the minions i think he just knows what's happening and he kind of says whatever feels right but then obviously some of that has been taken and played on like the whole banana which they really kind of go deeper with in further films and um so yeah it's fun and there's one more thing that is worth looking up and we'll put this in the show notes and i find this really fascinating in all sorts of languages and there is a joke in i think it's despicable me too where the man says my name is mr ramsbottom mm -hmm. and the two million sit there and go hee hee bottom hee 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 And there's a clip on YouTube with the same joke in 19 different languages. So if you know some of those languages, that would be really interesting to see what's the name they've given him and then what's the bit they've taken from the name to, to make them laugh. So, yeah, mini and ease. Yeah, although it's it's the same. It's I, I mean, from from what I gathered, it's it's pretty much the same joke. Sort of, he says Ram's bottom. It's got bottom in. So we're just going to... There's, there's a little bit of sort of sniggering, but it's quite it's quite a cool sort of... 19 language translation versions. I, I enjoyed that one definitely, and that link is also in the in the show notes. The show notes, which are very large this this time, because we've got so much to say, so many languages. So that is Minionese. Maybe not a, a language, but definitely a fictional. Like a, you know, it 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 does the same thing. It adds depth to the fictional world, and it adds humor as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the idea that you don't know what they're saying, but you do know what they're saying is is quite fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you got two, you got two more depressing ones as well. Tell me about those. Oh yes, bring that <laughs> tone slightly. I should have yeah. saved minions till last. So the next one is I don't think it's depressing. This is one of my favorite favorite films of all time, tied top three with Amelie and Mean Girls, and that's A Clockwork Orange. And in A Clockwork Orange, if you've seen the film, if you've read the book, you'll know that they use something called NADSAT. Now, when when I first kind of came across the film and then later the book, I was intrigued by this because I was intrigued by language. But look, I'd never really looked deeper into it. So this is interesting. NADSAT was created in the original book by Anthony Burgess and then also used in the film by Kubrick the greatest film director of all time, side note. And it actually, the name Nadsat comes from the Russian suffix equivalent of teen. Yes, so oh yes this, it does. Yeah, so if you want yeah. to say 15, you say whatever, five is in Russian, which I've forgotten now. Um, but you know, like you say 18, is like Vosomnatsad. 
Yes. And then, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so NADSAT comes from teen. So it's like teen slang, um, teen speak. And it is primarily English with some words from Russian thrown in and a little bit of kind of Cockney rhyming slang influence and things like that. So it's English, but with these other words put in. And that would make you think, oh, well, if I don't speak Russian, then I'm not going to understand this. I'm not going to have a clue what they're talking about when they go off into their sort of NADSAT youth speak. But what's amazing about this, much like the Minions, is that you do understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You do understand what's going on. And much like um, the other guys, Tolkien in particular, um, Burgess actually did have a real interest in linguist. He was in, in linguist, in language. He wasn't necessarily a linguist as far as I know. He could have been. Um, but he had learned some Russian himself. And he also learned Jawi, which is the Arabic script adapted for Malay and Malay. He spent a lot of time in Malaysia. And he also taught himself some Persian. So... He okay. definitely had a strong interest in language, which makes sense as to why he would then include a sort of fictional language slash slang um, in his book, In a Clockwork Orange. So I want to give you a couple of examples so, and then we'll play the clip. Natsud is, from from how I gather it, is a specifically creative dialect, really, then. of You know, it's it's English at the heart of it. But it's it's a full-on dialect that he made. Mm, you could call it a dialect. I mean, I think I would prefer... Like, I, I stick to the word slang just because it I is English. I think we need a what's a language, what's a dialect klaxon, isn't oh, it? It's like, whoa, yes, we fit it, we fit it. Okay, it's a language, <laughs> it's a language, forgive me. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's not... It certainly has an army, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it's, it's not... It's definitely not a language. I think it is more of a slang. Right. But okay. it's still very interesting. So I'll give you a couple of words and have a listen to the clip and see if you can uh, understand. Or do you, do you want the words after Kirsten? What do you think? I, I, no, give me, give me two or three words because we'll have a, a short okay. clip. Govoiting, speaking. And again, that Govoiting. comes from Govoiting. Okay, that comes yes, from Russian. In, in Russian, Russian, that's Gavarich, isn't it? Yeah. Devochka. Oh, Devochka. Uh huh. Okay, young woman comes from Russian. Uh, Malenki, yeah. so small or tiny, comes from Russian. It's but then there's other, Russian? There's yeah, other elements thrown into this. Like I mentioned, it's not just Russian. So he'll say things that sound kind of weird to us. He says like, oh, my brothers. And he says Ludwig van. You know, he doesn't say Beethoven. He calls him Ludwig van and things like this. And oh, I love it. Take a listen. There were some sophistos from the TV studios around the corner, <laughs> laughing and gavriting. The Devochka was smacking away and not caring about the wicked world one bit. Then the disc on the stereo twanged off and out. And in the short silence before the next one came on, she suddenly came with a burst of singing. And it was like for a moment, oh my brothers, some great bird had flown into the milk bar. And I felt all the melancholy little hairs on my plot standing endwise and the shivers crawling up like slow melanchy lizards and then down again because i knew what she sang it was a bit from the glorious ninth by ludwig van okay that's fascinating stuff and i know that in a clockwork orange the the sort of crazy cocktail that they're all drink is is malako isn't it it's it's maloko yeah, in the maloko bar another yeah. russian word mm-hmm. 
Okay, and it again how it just how it develops the world just so so rich, you know, it just even even throwing in specific words and there is a system to this one, you know, like with the minions we said you might not be able to really have consistency all the way there. But with this one, you clearly have this means this and this is how you use these words. So they it does kind of come it approaches the, the language area or the slang, like you say. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And quite similarly, my next one is um, Newspeak from 1984. Mm. So from the book, and I discovered there is a film, not a, not a very famous film, I don't think, but there is a film, so we have, do have a clip later on. But what was really interesting was that, strangely, like A Clockwork Orange, there was some Russian influence with this. Um, not as much, not so much the vocabulary, I don't think. I think it was just the, the influence of, of perhaps grammar style, etc. is there. Um, yeah. But the well, idea of new Fictional works yeah. that are products of their time, right? So we, this exactly. is Cold War or pre-Cold War. You know, we were scared of Russia. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the idea of Newspeak is to limit freedom of thought by making the language smaller. Because if there's less words, then you can say less things and your thoughts then become limited. Wow. That's the theory behind Okay, Newspeak. yeah. Yeah, so because it was, um, you know, it's kind of set in, I, I think, I don't know too too well, I think it's set in English, so the grammar is mostly like English, but the vocabulary becomes smaller and smaller with the aim of everyone speaking Newspeak by 2050, remember this is set in 1984, 2050, except for what's called the proles, who are the working class and make up, I think, around 85% of the population, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's really coming from the other end rather than people speaking a language and and change coming from there this is this is from coming downwards you know people imposing the language on on other people yeah i have a quote as well from george orwell who wrote 1984 and he said the purpose of newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression for the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of ingsoc but to make all other modes of thought impossible its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expression to every meaning that a party member could properly wish to express, while excluding all other meaning and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by eliminating undesirable words and stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings and, so far as possible, of all secondary meaning whatsoever. Wow, okay, this is... I, what I like about this is this is it's not just about you know the way he says is the purpose of newspeak not the creation necessarily of newspeak in that sense and this is about it's about you know almost using your own language against you or the, mm. the language that maybe you thought you had and maybe you don't um, so newspeak kind of comes and erases bits of what you already of what you own. Uh, and takes you know takes things away from you, which is so 1984. And this is fascinating mm. stuff. Cool, cool. But and again, scary. Much, yeah. <laughs> again, much like um, a Clockwork Orange and Nadsat, it's very familiar. There are a lot of familiar words, but what's different here is they're often combined. So there's prefixes and suffixes. So you've got prefixes like un, anti, plus, and double plus as well. Then you've got suffixes mm. like full, ed, like ed, and wise. And so it's very familiar, um, but also it, it's kind of 
limiting your vocabulary. So for example, good think, this, this means thoughts that are approved by the party and crime think or a thought crime is the opposite. Which reminded me of Esperanto when you say like, I think it's bona and then you say mal bona. So you have a word and then you just put the negative thing in front of it and gives you the antonym, which is very interesting. So interesting you'll hear some as well, examples. Because it's a bit yeah. like, uh, it's a bit like, you know, when you say it's lots of familiar words as well, that the kind of, it's almost like it's the familiar kind of coming to bite you. So you, you think you're safe, but you're not. Yeah, yeah. And that double plus, you'll hear um, a couple of examples in this clip now. Plus big problem is timing the language to scientific advance. Yes. It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. You won't have seen the dictionary 10th edition yet, Smith. It's that thick. The 11th edition will be that thick. Well, the revolution will be complete when the language is perfect. The secret is to move from translation to direct thought to automatic response. Oh, wow. He says the revolution will be complete when the language is perfect. Mm. Oh, God. It's creepy, okay, isn't just, it? Yeah, let's hope this world never gets, never becomes real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so that's Newspeak. Newspeak and that's it. Fascinating, and I think fascinating to to show as well how what you can do with with in a way with, with much less than you know you don't have to be a full on kind of you don't have to hire a linguist or you don't have to be the full on uh, Tolkien sixty years dedicated to creating a full on language system. You you know you, with with very little even you can ooh you can you can create something extremely powerful, which I think Newspeak in particular strikes me as something very powerful. Oh, thanks, mm. Lindsay. They're, they're cool. They're cool. Right, okay, I've got one more to throw into the ring before we can draw our conclusions and make our top five, I suppose. Okay. Um, and that is one... This is a world that I have spent years, I think, absorbed in. I love this. Um, the special thing about this language is that it's not created for a movie. It's not created for a book. It was created for a video game. Not the only one, um, but okay. my, my favourite is uh, Simlish. Simlish ah. is the assumed to be the official language of the Sim Nation. So if you've ever played games like SimCity or The Sims, uh, the language used in the SimCity is Simlish. And the language used in Sim Nation is Simlish, which actually has its own script. Not, doesn't look very sophisticated. You're not really expected to learn the script. Most users will probably just read from the English transcriptions. You can also learn it a little bit. So it's kind of in between somewhere, but you can't really learn anything that they're not already using. Now, um, the amazing thing, Simlish is great because it's sort of, you know, as you're playing the game, you, um, a lot of the Sims game is about interacting, you know, getting people to interact with each other and, you know, your Sims might flirt or marry or whatever, you know, like, or insult, etc. So you sort of slowly start realizing that they do use the same bits of audio again and again for the same situations. So the, the Sim greeting is, sul, sul. Um, you just learn this somehow because they use it so much as you're playing the game. So you can get, I've put a little Simlish phrase book in the, in the, show notes if anybody wants to like learn Simlish and I think what really stands out is that there was and it still is as the ga these games are created if you switch the radio on in the sims 
and you choose your different song areas that you want to listen to, what you can find is you'll find real world earth pop, I suppose, and earth pop stars, people like Lily Allen and Katy Perry, and they've recorded their own music in Simlish. So, no. yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> Did you, yes. <laughs> so you can listen to "Smile" by Lily Allen, but she it, it got rewritten and she re-recorded it in 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 Simlish. Did she record to... it herself? Yes. That's the greatest thing in the world. K- Katy Perry has sung songs in Simlish. There are there are more than fifteen songs by people like Katy Perry, Lily Allen, Lady Annabelle, and then there's this. You know the song that goes, Tonight we <gasps> are young. That's, That's one of my favourite songs. Simlish as well. I don't... Oh, oh, okay, yeah. I'm excited. What clip are we going to hear? A song, right? Well, yes, I'll pick that song for you. And then you can listen to what Simlish sounds like. So it's kind of a pleasant gibberish in a way, but obviously with a little bit of an internal system. doesn't go anywhere near as far as the other ones. But I really liked highlighting something that was developed for a video game. Okay, right, let's have a listen to Lindsay's favourite song in Simlish. That's amazing. I've just read one of the comments <laughs> in underneath the video and it says, this is how English songs sound to non-English speakers. <laughs> there, there's something I, true I about that. I can believe that. that. Simlish yeah. has a feel of English, doesn't it? You can still feel English there. To me, it sounds English-ish. Yes, it does. <laughs> Yeah, and I can imagine kids, so we, you know, little kids imitating English. And maybe, you know, when I was a little kid as well, they might have come out with something similar to Simlish. So that's that's not actually wrong. <laughs> but it's it's such an enjoyable little... Such an enjoyable little language to listen to as well. Yeah, I'm going to go away and find some more Simlish songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, according to Will Wheaton, who created the game, this is... Um, he originally looked at Navajo but then didn't really go, you know, develop it too much on the basis of Navajo. And instead it is a combination, sort of combination, apparently, or it incorporates at least Latin, Ukrainian, Navajo and Tagalog. Okay. Did he pick those out of a hat? Sorry? Because that's, did he pick those out of a hat? That's quite the mix. I really, I really don't know. It just, it just says that's how it ended up. So maybe he was kind of playing around and I can't tell you. I don't think a linguist was hired for the creation of Simlish. Um, I think this, but I couldn't really tell you more about the creation of this one. It's, hmm. it's certainly a beloved part of the game. And for me as a, you know, I'm a long time Sims player, Sims fan. Um, and it's, this is definitely something that... I, it's, you know, I love this about the game. I love that there is Simlish. And, you know, when you see television in the Sim universe, uh, there is a separate script. So you, you really are in a different world. You're in Sim Nation. Okay, Lindsay Dow, tell, yes. me, your, 
Tell me your top three, I would say, out of all the languages that we have covered today, that we've talked about. Is there any that really stood out to you that you've really kind of fell in love with or connected to? Ooh, in terms of connected to, it has to be Nadsat, just -hmm. because I love that film so much. Um, So that would be my my first favourite. And then I guess you can't not say Tolkien, just like all of them, because the amount of languages and dedication and the backstory to all of that is just incredible mm-hmm. any then... specific one no like i say i've never i've i've watched i've never really watched lord of the rings Shh, don't mm. tell anyone but but i respect well, I the language dedication that's gone into that that's second to none and mm. then the third one i'm drawn towards one of the fun ones. I'm thinking Simlish or Minions. I I think the Minion Minions language because I every time I watch one of those films, I just want to really overanalyze it, and I want to go deeper and I want to. Find... <laughs> I'm like, that's from that language and that's from that language. So I think that would be my third. Mm, I can I can understand that Minions is really one of those for you watching something and kind of going back and picking out what is, you know, like real world language has gone into it. I think it's a real, it's a really nice and playful one. Also, they're yellow and you love yellow. I know that. Yeah, of course. Although that wasn't a reason, I have mm. to be honest. <laughs> uh, did, okay, so we've got Nasset, the Tolkien universe, kind of as a general, you know, collective yes. award, really, collective number two. As and a general the kind language. of bow down. Yeah. And then the Minions. What about you? What are your kind of top okay. three? Okay, I'm going to go, I'm, I think I'm going to go from the bottom. Uh, my number three, I think for sheer impact, power and showing how you can do a lot with a little is Newspeak. I found that, okay. I found that fascinating. Newspeak kind of goes, goes deep. Uh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, number two. Okay, I, it's a tough, it's a tough kind of, it's a joint second. Perhaps. Um, okay, the, the black speech comes very close, but it is that evil that I'm just going to kick it out. <laughs> I do like the idea of the black speech. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with Klingon. I just... I <laughs> maybe because I'm German, I don't know. I just really like the, the sounds of Klingon. Um, I like how this, this whole concept of in Klingon you don't say hello, you say what do you want, if you've got to say anything. <laughs> I just really enjoyed, uh, you know, like reading about Klingon and, you know, learning about how it how it kind of came came to be. Um, that was really fascinating. Um, oh, I don't even know where to get in Simlish. I've got a big soft spot for Simlish as well. So Simlish is is in there. But can I make it my number one? I don't know. I want to give my number one to something with with real depth that goes, you know, that really goes deep. So for the. For the beautiful name, I think I'm going to give it to Cinderin. Also for the the Welsh connections, of course. So I've got Cinderin, Klingon, Newspeak, um, and then perhaps Simlish and Black Speech in there as well. I think for shall we put Cinderin at the top of our, or maybe the Elvish languages in general? Because, like you said, the collective yeah. work has to be respected. I so th- we'll, yeah, we'll put Elvish at number one, and. Right, your number one was Natsat and my number one was Newspeak. So those could perhaps be a joint second. Okay. Natsat and Newspeak. Really for I I found it fascinating how they build on they build on the familiar. Doing so much with so little. 
And yeah, and building on the familiar, exactly. Mm. And then we've got the fun languages of three, really. Although I want to give it to the Klingons. No, no, my, yeah. my number three. No, yeah, go with Klingons. Klingon. That's totally fair. Well, we're doing top five, aren't we? We're doing top yeah. five. So we'll give, we'll give number three to the Klingons and number four to the Minions. Yep. Minionese. Now five would be a space for Simlish then. It would be. I yeah. Can, I, I can almost hear the games of thro- Game of Thrones fans throwing down their, what are they called? Sh- not a, a, a horse. I was thinking of a goblet, throwing down their goblets and writing angry comments. <laughs> I not know, I do, I do feel, okay, even though honourable mention, and I'm really feeling it for Dothraki, I, between Lindsay and me, I think we're going to give it to Simlish, aren't we? I think so. Yeah, well, it's our show, guys, so. It's so fun. <laughs> okay, final top five fictional languages as curated by the Creative Language Learning Podcast is Elvish, taking into account Elf Daily and the language family, Cinderin, Kenya, don't write in nerds, we know. Um, number two, <laughs> a joint award to Natsut and Newspeak, sort of the old, really the literature big literary book languages. Number three goes to Klingon. Number four, Minionese. And number five, Simlish. So, and with that, it's, that is it for episode 51 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Can't wait to hear what your fictional languages are. It's goodbye from me, Sultul, and goodbye from Lindsay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. 